from Genesis chapter 12, and he began by um, elucidating or, or highlighting the power of the promise of God in your life. And the fact that that promise that God made to you when he called you out of darkness into light transcends anything else that happens in your life. Okay, you guys heard it, but that power, the power of that promise transcends anything that happens in your life. Okay, right here. I'm just, I'm just teasing. So, uh, for uh, first-time guests, please don't judge anything by the next 45 minutes because the pastor's not here and I'm not him. Um, so, um, myself and, and three other gentlemen serve on the uh, elder team here at the church. And we're honored to serve this church and uh, try to just listen to God and see what God's saying and move things in that direction. And we appreciate and cover your prayers as we do so. Uh, I'm grateful for a pastor who is called, anointed, and appointed for this pulpit. I'm not that guy. (laughs) He is, and I'm grateful and thankful for him. But today, when he and I were talking about his being out of the pulpit, um, he asked if I would consider sharing the next um, message in this series. And I I began, and I said, well, sure. And I, I, the story of Abram is fun for me. It's, it's, a, it's a good story, and I particularly like parts of it. Um, and so I said to him, well, sure, can I hop over a few chapters and grab this story right here? I love the story of Melchizedek and tithes and giving and all that stuff. It's in my wheelhouse. I, I like it. And he replied to me. We were going back and forth, text, and he said, well, sure, I can work with that. And I said, well, let me, let me just pray about that, and then I'll get back with you. 20 minutes, all it took. The Lord says, no, you're going to follow my plan. You, you leave that to him to, to teach. I want this next section taught. And I said, well, thanks, God. There ain't much there. I mean, I'm really going to have to work at this. I don't see anything. And God said, Exactly. I would prefer that you stay out of the way and let me say what I want to say to the people that show up today. So here's what I believe. I don't really know what God's going to say. I've got some notes down. You're here by his appointment and not mine. So let's just listen to him and let him say what he wants to say. You with me? Okay. So the next, this this promise that Abram's given is given in Genesis chapter uh, 12. And it talks about, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And I'm going to bless those who bless you. And I'm going to curse those who curse you. And I mean, it's a really, really big, big promise that he gives Abram. And then it, it, it continues in the section we're going to talk about today. Starting in verse 8. The word, of the, God, the word of God says, From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to God or to the Lord, and he called on the name of the Lord. Now, Pastor Allen brought out the fact that, that he built one previous to that, and it, that worship, 
That worship kept him close to the promise. So here he is again. He does it again. Subsequent to that first altar, he builds another altar. How many of you know there are episodes in your life when you meet with God, you remember that because you've built sort of a mental altar. You remember those times when God has talked to you. Okay, So here he's got two in a matter of about three verses. He builds another altar. It's a place of worship. It's a place of remembrance. He is hearing what God is saying. Now watch. He builds an altar, and he called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Now, that's just a word for the south. So he, if you can envision, he's in Iraq somewhere, and he's moving down sort of through what is modern-day Israel, and he's moving south, okay? Because God didn't really tell him, go to Marietta, Georgia, at the tree next to the big chicken, and there I will meet with thee. No, he just said, you keep moving, and I will meet with, I'll show you the land that I have for you. So there's a little bit of uncertainty for him. Okay? So now watch this. Now there was a famine in the land. Anybody ever felt like you were following God and things dried up? Oh. Anybody ever felt like you heard God and then when you got where you thought you were going, they're really, come on, God. This is supposed to be boom. Listen, I've had a number of episodes in my life where I thought this was going to happen, and then God said, whoop. And I'm standing there going, God, I don't really know. I'm not real. I'm not real thrilled about this because I felt like you called me and you promised me and you said this was going to be, I was going to be blessed to be a blessing. And I was, oh, I was going to be all this. And then all of a sudden there's nothing and it's famine in the land. Watch what he does. And Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while. Because the famine was severe. Now, if you know anything about biblical history, Egypt historically is not a very good place. There's not a whole lot of God worship there. There's a whole lot of worship there, but it's a whole lot of other type of worship. Frankly, it's demonic worship. And so Abram goes to a place. Now, it's fruitful because of the Nile Valley, right? So there's this, this problem up here in Israel. He keeps going to the place where seems natural things are going to be provided for me. He moves from the place of his altars to the place that addresses his fear. What's his fear? I'm afraid we're going to starve. This God that said he would provide for me, this God that said he would make a way where there was no way, this God, I don't see him coming through, so I'm going to continue to move. And his fear moves him from a place of worship to a place of well, at least this, I, I, can, I can eat here. That's his thought. Now, listen, I'm going to say something harsh here, but I believe, I believe what it says. Fear of fill in the blank. 
Fear of anything leads to an inability to hear God and follow his word, his will, and his way. Fear of anything leads to an inability to hear and follow his word, his will, and his way. How, what's the technology of that? Why does that? Why do I believe that to be true? Listen to these scriptures, and I'll map it out for you. 1 John 4, 8, whoever does not love God does not know God because God is what? Love. Say that together. God is love. Say it one more time. God is is love by his, he doesn't he doesn't get you know it, it doesn't it's not one of his uh, just little personality traits he is the essence of love okay 1 John 4:18 there is now watch there is no fear in love but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment The one who fears is, listen, is not made perfect in love. Look at the syllogism. God is love. Perfect love casts out fear. If you insist on holding on to your fear, you will drive yourself away from the presence of God. And your place of worship becomes just a vague memory. And you cease to understand that the God of the promise is still on the throne and he's still got your best interest at heart. But your fear moves you from a place of worship to a place of worry and concern and anguish and stress and strife instead of peace and joy. Can I tell you something that occurred to me some time ago? And I don't know how this came to me. It's been a part of my thought process for a long time. Adrian, fear and faith both require you to believe something that is not yet true. Fear and faith both require you to believe something that's unseen. It's out there somewhere. It requires the same from you. Fear and faith require you to believe something that has not been seen. Listen to this quote. I I found it yesterday and I thought, wow, fear is a thief. It erodes our faith, it plunders our hope, it steals our freedom, and it takes away our joy of living the abundant life in Christ. Phobias, listen, phobias are like the coils of a snake. The more we give in to them, the tighter they squeeze. Tired of fighting, we succumb to the temptation and surrender to our fears But what seemed, listen, what seemed like an easy way out becomes in reality a prison of unbelief, a fortress of fear that holds us captive. You may think that succumbing to that fear will be a good way out, but it will squeeze the very abundant of life that Christ called you to live right out of you. It will drive you to distress and anger and resentment. When you embrace that fear, what are you talking about? What kinds of fears? I mean, I've never been afraid of being in a famine because I just go by Publix and slip my card in there, and whether the money's there or not, I'll pay it next month. I don't have to fear famine. Really? Well, what about these fears? Exposure. 
if they really knew who I was and what I was like on Friday night, I don't know, I don't know. Rejection, abandonment, being vulnerable, receiving ministry, giving ministry, failure, success, being wrong, being right. Do you know there are people who fear being right? It's the craziest thing. Listen, the National Institutes of Mental Health say that we are in an epidemic crisis in our nation of fear and phobias. Many of you know I spent my career with young people in the public schools. If I could do one thing for the public schools, it would be to drive out by the Spirit of God fear among children. Children are so afraid now of being rejected that they do stupid stuff all the time. They're so afraid of abandonment, they'll do dumb stuff all the time. Oh, we adults are beyond that, aren't we? Where'd they learn it? Well, let's go on. Okay, there's that well-intentioned dragon, I mean, Christian out there who says, oh, there is one fear that's right. You're absolutely right. There is one fear that's legitimate. Anybody know what that is? Good. See, there's a bunch of y'all here. Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, uh, of knowledge, uh, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let me tell you the difference. That fear draws you to the cross of Christ. That fear pulls you into your purpose and your destiny and the promise that God has made for you. Every other fear drives a wedge between you and God. It drives something between you and keeps you from bowing your heart and your knee to the Almighty who is the one who can make a way where there doesn't seem to be a way. So there's fear in Abram. Moving on. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, now, um, ladies in the room, would you please just tune out for a minute? Just, just ignore me for the next few minutes because I need to talk to the gentleman. Gentlemen, sometimes less is more, okay? If Abram had said to his wife, Hubba, hubba, ding, ding. Baby, you got everything. I know, Lori, what a beautiful woman you are. If he had stopped right there, guys, just stop. Just stop. It's a good thing. It's really a good thing. Honey, you are so lovely today. I, I, you make my socks go up and down. That's it. Right there. Guys in the room, how many of us then... Put our foot, it may be a size 13, but I shove it right up in my mouth, right? And I continue with the thought. But, honey, I love you. I, I'm so blessed to have you, but there's this thing I'm a little afraid of. Watch what he says. When the Egyptians see you, because you are hot, you are smoked. When they see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they'll let you live. Hey, I got a great idea. Say you're my sister. What? I mean, that is wrong. I have two sisters here today. I'm grateful you guys are here. I didn't know they were coming. Um, yeah, give them a hand. So, so some people wonder... 
sort of why I'm a clothes horse. You know, I, I don't wear ripped clothes and I don't wear shirts and stuff. They are the reason. Um, they were older than me when I was born. I suddenly, they had a live baby doll. And they dressed me up all the time. And I think it created a desire in me to dress all the time well, you know. So it's their fault that I wear bow ties. Now, when they see me, uh, if you say you're my sister, I'll be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. Psychologists tell us that the number one desire for females in a marriage is security. The male, he needs respect, he needs belief, but the female needs security. This idiotic plan that he comes up with erodes the very thing that she needs from him as his mate. The security to know I am safe in this relationship. He will take care of me. Come hell or high water, I'm going to be okay because he's going to take the hard hits. He wimps out and says, hey, listen, if you'll come up, if you'll join my great plan here and just say you're my sister, I'm going to be okay. Can you hear her mind saying, what? Can you hear her going, Okay, this is not how I thought this was going to go. You see, his fear led him to begin controlling things. And rather than walking with God, he starts getting out in front of God. And he says, well, I know this is going to be possible, so I'm going to make a plan. I'm going to make a plan. This is going to be a good plan. Sweetie, you're hot And so I'm going to sell you, essentially, for my security, I'm going to give you away. I didn't know that was in the Bible. I'm not making it up. I will control everything so that they won't find out who I am. Controlling people. Now, this is harsh, but it's what I felt like I needed to say to you. Controlling people generally do not have deep abiding relationships with God or others because they do not have the faith in others that they mean them well. If I, if I give up control, I've got to trust that somebody's going to take care of me. So I'm not going to give up control. I'm going to continue to control things so that I can take care of me. What's the problem with that? Not the way God intended things. Not the way God has designed us to live. Philippians 3, 18 through 21. For as I've told you uh, often before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is their destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. I'm going to starve or I'm going to be killed. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. Who's really in control of this show? 
when we submit and we stay close to that altar, he's going to take care of everything. I would submit to you that if Abram had chilled out just a little bit and stayed at that altar just a little bit and had submitted to the will of the Father, I don't know if he'd have ended up in Egypt. But he certainly wouldn't have given his wife away to the king of Egypt. Dummy. How do you know if you got control issues? Well, you're sitting there right now saying, well, I wouldn't have said that that way. I'd have said it this way. I'd have been nicer. I'd, I'd, I'd have tried to help people, you know, feel a little good about themselves because here's, here's some symptoms. Are you prideful? Are you unteachable? Are you, are you easily offended? Not looking at anybody. Are you defensive? Are you justifying? Are you blame shifting? Are you critical? Are you judging? Are you bitter? Are you withdrawn? Do you have false humility? You get the picture? Do you need to be right all the time? Are you a perfectionist? Are you lying? Are you passive? Are you aggressive? Are you denying the truth that's right in front of your face? You might be a controlling individual. And you're controlling because of fear that has gripped your heart. That well-intentioned Christian is sitting right there saying, well, brother, there is one control that's acceptable. You are correct. Self-control is acceptable. Galatians 5 talks about that. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit. Now, who does all this belong to? Does it belong to you? No, no. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You can't even control whether you got self-control or not. And when you try, when you try to make yourself, I'm going to be self-controlled, I'm going to be self-controlled, I'm going to be self-controlled, you're going to fail every time. Because it is the fruit of the Holy Spirit that grows that in our hearts and lives. As we submit to him and we stay close to that altar and we don't, we don't walk around in fear and we don't try to control things, that fruit will grow in us by the spirit nature, not by our trying. So then what happens? When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarah was a very beautiful woman. This is interesting to me because, you know, beauty is kind of in the eye of the beholder, and it's cultural. If you study foreign cultures, different things um, are esteemed as beautiful, and yet crossing cultures, she must have been as pretty as you are, Lori. I mean, she must have been because it wouldn't matter where you go in the world, you're going to be beautiful, right? So, he prophesied it. Here it is. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He, retreated, uh, he treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, female and, uh, uh, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. <laughs> That's sort of random. He goes through this whole thing. Camels. Now, when you read this and, and try to put this together, I know we're, we're used to, um, you know, the sort of, we, we don't 
we don't read the Word of God and let it read us. We just read it and, and keep going. Slow down just a little bit and think, how long does it take for somebody to acquire sheep and cattle and male and female donkeys and male and female servants and camels, okay? So there is this sense that this took a period of time, that this man has said to his most prized possession, his gift, this wife of his, I, I'm going to, just so I can live, I'm going to let you go on and be in, in the house of Pharaoh. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sari. You see, even when your fear and your controlling make a mess of things, God is still on his throne. And he is still looking at the people that you are harming by your fear and your control. And he's, he's, he's got a plan. And he's going to take care. Listen. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? What have you done? You ever had one of those conversations? Have you, has anybody ever looked at you in the eye and said, what in the world have you done? What do you immediately feel? Shame, right? You feel shame because you, he, Abram knows what he did. He took his wife and said, she's my sister. And now Pharaoh, we're going to get there. Listen, and, when, and he said, why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say that she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? I'm sorry that the Bible is not PG-13. I don't know what it is, but that phrase means one thing. And everybody in this room knows what that phrase means. Let's not super spiritualize this and let's not gloss over this. Here's a beautiful woman and a king that is a powerful ruler. That phrase means one thing. I consummated this marriage. Now, that's messing with some of y'all's theology right now. Just let that sink. But, but don't get sidetracked there because I want to show you the power of God. But that phrase, I took her to be my wife, Listen, when Lori and I got married, it was a blessed event. Y'all were there, Sherry, Michael. I, as the man, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful uh, ceremony. My mind was not thinking about the ceremony. I was ready to split that joint the minute we said, I do. But then we got this crazy thing called a reception. Lord Jesus, how much food can these people eat? And I'm expected to stand here and watch them eat when I'm really thinking about, I just got married and that's my wife. And I got to stand here and talk to this guy I don't even know. I don't want to talk to him. I want to talk to her. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and get out of my sight. 
Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. You disgust me? Get out of my sight. Even the pagan ruler knew what Abram had done is disgusting. But because of his fear and his control, he brings shame. Now, I want you to think for just a minute, the women in the room. How would you feel if the man of your dreams and destiny said to you, baby, I'm a little afraid somebody's going to jack me up when we go to downtown Atlanta, so I'm going to give you over to somebody and let you just be theirs for a while so I'll be safe. How crazy is that? It is like to the moon and back crazy. Those living with shame must constantly attempt to cope with the painful thought that I am uniquely and hopelessly flawed. The shame caused by fear and control is often felt most by those around us. Pharaoh and his whole house were impacted by the shame that was brought on them by Abram's masterful plan, let alone poor Sari and how she was treated by these pagan rulers because of his fear and control. Shame, fear, and control is a powerful triumvirate and is often seen as a demonic stronghold in the lives of believers and unbelievers. Listen, where you see fear, eventually you will see a controlling spirit and then you will see this shame come on. It is the most critical plague affecting the church today, I believe. If we can eradicate fear from the lives of believers, we can set people free to live the abundant life that Jesus Christ has called them to live. But if you, if you insist on hanging on to the fear that has gripped you since who knows when, you're going to continue to control things. And as you control things, you're going to make a mess of your life and the people around you. And as you do, it's going to cause shame on you and them, everybody associated with you. And that well-intentioned Christian is sitting here going, Okay, I'm trying to argue against this. Is there any is there any shame? I know there was fear of the Lord and I know there was self-control. Is there There is no place in the kingdom of God for shame of any ilk. Galatians 3:13 says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Romans 10, 11 says, as Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. 1 Peter 2, 6 says, for in Scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Dr. T, I... I don't know what to do then because I've got some shame. That, that event that happened all those many years ago, I, I'm sitting here and the Holy Spirit's talking to me and, and, and saying, yeah, and let that go. Dr. T, I've got some fear. What do I do with that? I, I, don't, I don't know how to handle that. I don't know, I don't know what to do. I, I admit I've got some control issues, but I'm afraid. 
Romans 7, 24 and 25. What a, <laughs> I love Romans 7 because it, it lets me know that somebody as great as Paul <laughs> understood in my life. Look at this scripture. Romans 7, 24 and 25. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? There's only one. There's only one remedy to shame and fear and control. There's only one. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the only remedy. 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Wait, wait, wait. You were talking about shame and fear and control. Trust me, it's sin. And if you are willing to confess that, He will deliver you and set you free. Confession, that word homologeo, sorry means to assent, to agree with by the way of admitting one's guilt to the accusation. It is the result of an inward conviction, to declare openly by way of speaking out freely, such confession being the effect of deep conviction of the facts. God's grace will cover a multitude of shame, and fear, and control. But just as you had to come to the cross of Christ initially, you must come to the cross of Christ and lay that at His feet. And you must say, Lord, I don't know how to not be controlling. I don't know how to live without this shame. I don't know how to live without this fear. But Your Word promises You do. And if I give this to You, Will you lead me to a fresh way and a new way? You know what his answer is always going to be to that confession? Yes and amen. It's about time you did that. I've been waiting on you for years and years to get rid of that shame, to get rid of that fear, to get rid of that control. I've been waiting and waiting and waiting. Here it is. I want to close with this picture of how aggressive God's grace is for your life. You understand that he has a promise for you. He has a destiny and a purpose for you. It's, the, it's, it's, it's as powerful as Abram's promise was. He has a promise for you. Abram's promise had to do with making him a great nation. But I want to show you something, uh, how much God was committed to the promise, knowing that he was going to do this stupid thing. If you back up before Pastor Allen started this sermon into chapter 11, there's a phrase that the Lord showed me that, that gave me a picture of how serious God is about your promise and how serious he was about Abram's promise. Chapter 11, verse 29, Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. 
Now, Sari, now Sari was childless because she was not able to conceive. That's a painful thing that predates all of this. But where would the promise to make him a great nation be if she had become pregnant by Pharaoh? Some of you are looking at painful situations right now and you're frustrated and angry and you're, you're lashing out at God. Oh, you would never admit that, but you are. And the reality is that God has protected his promise for you and he's placing you in a situation this morning where you can say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just, I just don't really understand it. Do you know that the kingdom of God is not necessarily always about understanding? Sometimes it's just about submitting and walking by faith. I think that the promise of God was so precious to him and his promises to Abram were so precious that he closed Sarah's womb only to open it later. When Abram was ready to really, really, really commit. You say, would God do that? I'm not making it up. That's how precious his promise is to you.